All right, and uh, welcome this morning. Good to see all of you out. Thank you, Simeon. Uh, man, these guys bring some energy up here on this stage. Uh, it's so awesome uh, to partner with him and uh, hope for the Balkans. And, and having been over to Bulgaria and seeing the area, which has uh, for a long time been kind of lifeless uh, spiritually, but seeing uh, life being breathed into it, and especially through uh, the partnership that we have with uh, Simeon and his organization. We're excited about that. Some great things happening. We're going to see God do some incredible things there in all of Europe. And so uh, that, that's an exciting thing. Well, guys, we, I want to welcome you today. Um, again, I'm, my name is Randy. If I haven't met you, it's good to have you with us in our time together. Uh, we finished the series last week. Today, we're beginning a new one, and we're talking about how to Bible. And today is just kind of introductory um, uh, information. It's, it's not going to be uh, uh, just facts, though. We're going to be definitely looking at the inspiration of God's Word, but uh, some Scripture. But we're going to talk about um, Bible knowledge and, uh, and knowing the Bible. You know, when my first ministry, when Lori and I got out of college, we came out with so much energy, and we had been in four years in Bible college, and so we were just kind of packed full of all this information. We couldn't wait to tell people, and so we got into the church, and it was a preaching ministry, but it was one of those churches where you did everything, basically. And so we, we were doing youth ministry, too, and we were teaching the kids, uh, the students there, and we began to see they didn't know a lot about the Bible. And so we asked them some questions about the Bible, and they didn't do very well. They did really poorly, and so we were disappointed, and we went to the, I took those, uh, uh, those questions to the board, and I said, you know, we're worried about the kids because they don't know the Bible very well. And I said, well, what kind of questions did you ask them? And I said, well, I got them right here. So I gave them to the board, and, and they asked, uh, answered the questions, and they didn't know them either. And uh, so I'm like, okay, we got a problem here, a failure to connect here. So, uh, so we had to do some work on that part, and, uh, and the reality is that a lot of us don't know a lot about the Bible. So uh, I thought I would ask you some questions today, put you on the spot. So uh, if you have a piece of paper or something, or if you can remember these, uh, I want to encourage you to take a brief quiz over the Bible, see what your information is. And I'll, I'll throw you just a couple of easy ones, and then I'm going to throw you some hard ones as well, all right? So here we go, and they're on the screen, and this Jeopardy style, all right? So, uh, so we'll have a little fun with it. So go ahead and, and start. First of all, name the four Gospels. Four Gospels. We'll give you a few seconds to write those down. Hopefully you've got some to write on. All right. Secondly, according to the Bible, where was Jesus born? Where was Jesus born? So jot those down if you have something to write on. All right. President George W. Bush spoke in his first inaugural address of the Jericho Road. What Bible story was he invoking? What Bible story was he talking about, the Jericho Road? What are the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament? First five books of the Old Testament. What is the golden rule? Golden rule. Second, God helps those who help themselves. We all heard that and said that. Is that in the Bible? And if so, where is it in the Bible? These last set, piece of cake, all right? 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Does that appear in the Bible? If so, where? And then the easy one, name the Ten Commandments. You got 17 seconds, go for it. All right, all right. So how'd you guys do? Anybody uh, have great scholars out there? Let's just run through them real quick, all right? Name the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Also the first four books of the New Testament, right? Secondly, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. There's an easy one for you, all right? President George Bush spoke of the Jericho Road. What Bible story was he invoking there? The Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan on the road to Jericho, all right? What are the first five books of the Old Testament? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What is the golden rule? Do, do unto others as you would have others do unto you, all right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. God helps those who help themselves. Is that in the Bible? No, no. Benjamin Franklin said that, all right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Is that in the Bible? Sounds like it. Yes. Where's it at? Matthew 5, 3. All right. Name the Ten Commandments. All right. Have no other gods before me. Do not make, before, make yourself a graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet. How many people got every one of them right? We got, a, we got a few here, got them all right. Good deal, good deal. I would remind you that lying is one of the Ten Commandments that you're not supposed to do. I'm just teasing with you. I'm, I'm sure you did. By the way, I'll be honest and tell you, when I went through those first pass, I got everything except like the second commandment. I... I just could not figure that one out, you know, so there's things I'm still trying to do as well. I'll be honest with you about it. But, you know, it's really difficult, isn't it, you know? Um, it's really difficult to know the Bible. There's so much there, and it seemed a little bit imposing and uh, kind of intimidating to us. But in this series, we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible, to interpret the Bible, how to apply the Bible, and then we're going to spend some time on how to believe the Bible, because that is is a huge part of that. Many people know the Bible, but they just don't believe that it's true. And you know, today there's a lot of ignorance about the Bible, but there's also a lot of skepticism about the Bible as well. For some people, they would push it aside and say it's a book written 2,000 years ago. It's irrelevant to our world. But the reality is that we don't hold it in that light. We believe it's a very precious book, and we're going to talk about that. But people are asking the question, is the Bible reliable? Can it be supported by other sources like archaeology and secular history? Uh, has what it predicted to come true came true? Had, had that actually happened? You know, what about the different translations? A lot of confusion even today about that. What about the Bible and science? How do we, how do we pull that together? And what about the accusations that many people say that there are contradictions in the Bible? People say that, most of the time they have no idea what contradictions they are talking about, but it sounds good, like a good way not to believe the Bible. And uh, so we're going to talk about some of those things. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, 
we want to give you a Bible. And out at our, our Connection Center out front in the lobby, uh, you can pick up a Bible there. Now, if you've got a bunch at home, you know, save those for people who don't have any. But if you truly don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible today for you to have your own. And so today we're going to begin the series. And we're going to, this is kind of a one-on-one on the Bible. And some of these things, all of you are going to know. And uh, because I want to start with the basics, I'm sure there are people here who don't know a lot about the Bible. Uh, but it'd be a good reminder to you. If you are very familiar with the Bible, uh, you know, that's great. It's going to, you know, kind of be a refresher course. Or if you have no idea about the Bible, it's going to be a great introduction about that. You know, maybe you are the person that's been in the church all your life and uh, you just know these things uh, automatically. Or maybe you've been in the church a while and you just don't know those things. You don't know a lot about the Bible at all. Maybe you think that Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. You know, if you like that, could have been. I don't, I don't know what her name was, but maybe that's the limit of your knowledge. You know, we're going to pick you up wherever you may be. You know, our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. That's that's what our hope is. We want to take people from belief, from very beginning of their relationship with Christ, searching or seeking, to believing in Christ, and then to belonging uh, to the body of Christ, and then becoming what God wants you to be. We want all of those, um, those steps to be uh, goals for you, or maybe you're somewhere along the way. And, uh, and, and I want to tell you that no matter where you are, regardless in your walk with Christ, the most important thing that you can do at any point in your journey is to read the Bible the most important thing to do, because that's where we learn all about Jesus, all right? So all that's introductory. Let's jump in and talk about the Bible. The Bible, some things I want to tell you about the Bible, four or five things. First of all, the Bible is a library. And some of you are going to go, I don't like libraries automatically, but that, not that kind of library, all right? The Bible is a library of books. It's not just one book, it's a collection of many books. In fact, it's a, it's a total of 66 books collectively written by 40 different authors spanning a period of 1,500 years. Now, that's a long time. So nobody sat down and just wrote the Bible in one setting. It was over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, 66 books. Many of them bear the name of the person who wrote them. For example, uh, the book of Isaiah was written by the man, the prophet Isaiah. Daniel, Amos all wrote their own books and titled them after themselves, or they were titled that way. Some of the books are named for the main event the Bible describes. For example, Genesis talks about beginning, which is what the word Genesis means, the beginning of all things. Exodus means leaving Egypt. It means uh, on, on your way out, leaving. Psalms is a collection of songs. Uh, the book of Kings is uh, stories of various kings who led the Jewish people. So when you look at some of the books, you're going to kind of identify what happens in the books by basically what the title is or who wrote it. Many of the books in the latter part of the, of the Bible are letters, actually letters are what are also called epistles, and they carry the name of the people to whom they were written. For some time, it's a group of people, a church in Galatians, the book of Galatians or Ephesians, or, or maybe to individuals like Titus or Timothy. Uh, so sometimes they're just kind of pinned that way. Sometimes they bear the name of the person who wrote them, like, like Peter, like I mentioned earlier. So the Bible is a, a library of books reflecting different times in history written by different people or by uh, two, two different groups of people and different authors and, and different purposes. So kind of understand, you can't just look at the Bible in one, say, in one way and look at every book. And generally, you have to understand the context of the Scripture where it was written, who it was written to, time period, uh, the purpose. A lot of those things go into understanding. And we'll talk about that later when it comes to, uh, to understanding the Bible. Secondly, 
to know about the Bible, there are two major divisions. There are two testaments in the Bible. The Bible is divided into sections called testaments. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is much larger than the Old. 37 books make up the Old Testament, and the New Testament has 27 books. Th- I mean, excuse me, 39 books and 27 uh, to add up to 66, all right? Now, why do we use the word testament? That's kind of a confusing word. It's not a word we use at all today. But the word testament basically means agreement or covenant. An agreement or covenant is kind of how you look at it, what, it's, what the Old Testament's about, what the New Testament is about. The Bible is about God's promises or God's covenants or God dealing with people. And so the Old Testament is about God dealing with people in the past, dealing with people before Jesus came to earth. And the New Testament is all about Jesus coming to the earth, beginning in the the beginning of the New Testament, the Gospels, and then about Jesus leading up even to today. So it's still relevant, and we're still under that relationship with God in the New Testament today. In, In other words, Jesus is the one who divides the Bible. And that's appropriate because the Bible is really all about Jesus. His coming altered all of history, everything, and how God deals with His people today. But even though these books are dealing with different times and different covenants of God, they are, not, uh, they are not contradictory to each other. We do have to understand how they work together. The Old Testament builds toward the new. The Old Testament wasn't written to stand alone. It was written, and God's dealing with people in that time was, was developed in order to point to the New Testament, which was the coming of Jesus. And in turn, the New Testament fulfills everything in the Old. Everything in the Bible is built around Jesus, and so we see Him in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So there are two Testaments, one story, and one focus, Jesus Christ. The Bible literally is the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus. Now, where do we come up the word Bible? Well, the word Bible actually comes from the name of the Biblos reed that was used in that day. They would take these reeds, compress them together. They would make scrolls or books out of that. So that's kind of where the word Bible actually came from, from the reed itself. But it's kind of interesting that the word Bible today has become the authoritative word in every realm, if you think about it. So, you know, if somebody says, this is how our company works, this is kind of the Bible for our company. So understand the authority, the last word of everything, and and overall, universally, Bible tells us about God as the last word on God. The third thing we understand about the Bible is that the Bible is sacred. It's a sacred book. The Bible is the word of God. Now, how do we know that? Well, obviously, we've been talking about God's dealing with people through the Bible, relating that, understanding that. And so the Bible is God's Word given to us. The Old Testament was written before Jesus was born, and it was treasured as God's Word. And we see that throughout Jesus' work and ministry, His life. We see Him talking about the Old Testament. It was written before Jesus came. It tells us about the history of the world. It tells us about God dealing with mankind. It tells us about much of the Old Testament or God's prophets and what, what they predicted. But when Jesus came as the Son of God in the human flesh, and He fulfilled all the Old Testament predictions and prophecies, He spoke about the full Word of God. He gave the Bible the credibility that it deserves. He reinforced what they had believed and what they held to be true. So if you believe that Jesus is who He said He is, that He is the Son of God, then you understand that what He said and the things He implied deserve our highest recognition and our highest respect 
and it is indeed a sacred book. Now, there are several reasons that it, we consider it to be sacred. One is that historically it's already been, always been held that way. Another is because of the power that we read into it, the insight about who God is and what He teaches us, the authority that it packs, just the authoritative Word of God. But primarily, we believe the Bible is sacred, all of it, because Jesus did so. Jesus quoted the Old Testament many times and referred back to it as God's Word. He said things like this in Matthew 5, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now we read that today and we kind of see that as being a general thing in the Bible, but keep in mind that Jesus was talking about the Old Testament. He was talking about the, 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 the law and the, uh, the prophecy and the Scripture, the, the, what, what, God, what they had been passed down, and what they recognized as the Word of God. So he viewed the Old Testament as sacred and as from God. In Mark chapter 12, again, he even quoted King David, one of his uh, uh, distant ancestors. He says, David himself speaking by the Holy Spirit. So what was Jesus saying? He was saying that when David spoke, when he wrote, by the way, David wrote uh, in the, the book of Psalms, we know, uh, when he wrote that, he was led by the Holy Spirit. God was speaking through him. So clearly Jesus taught that the writers of the Old Testament were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they were writing the very Word of God. So he gives them credibility because the New Testament is to be viewed not only, I mean, the Old Testament is to be viewed as God's Word as well as the New. He gives the credibility. And much of the New Testament, by the way, what is in red in your, most of our Bibles, is what Jesus actually said. So if He is the Son of God and He implies that this is true, He speaks for God. He speaks for God. But then Jesus also laid the foundation for the writings of the rest of the New Testament. Keep in mind that Jesus went back into heaven and he left his disciples, his apostles, to write the rest of the story that we have of the New Testament. So understand where it came from as well. Jesus chose the word apostle to apply to about 12 of his disciples. Now, he had many disciples, but he only had 12 that he designated as apostle. And the word apostle means those who have been sent. And the message that Jesus sent them on was that they were to go, they were to teach, they were to preach, and they also were to write. And so what they have written, we have today that, that make up the rest of the New Testament. So they were to have this prophetic and this authoritative voice and role, and they were to speak God's word to the people whenever he left the earth and went back into heaven. They spoke for God in Jesus' name. And Jesus said, he who receives you receives me. So what he was saying is, if someone, the people I leave, my apostles will have the same authority as I do. Receive them even as you would receive me. Also keep in mind that every apostle had a very personal commission by Jesus. They did not appoint themselves. They didn't say, hey, I want to be an apostle and claim the name and go out and start teaching. They didn't do that. They didn't just start their own ministry. They were called by Jesus. They were with Jesus. They heard Jesus. They were mentored with, by Jesus and taught by Him before they went out to preach or before they wrote anything. Now, you've got to understand kind of how, what their qualifications were. When one of them, you probably know Judas, when he betrayed Jesus and took his life, they, had a, they decided to fill that position. And there were qualifications of that person, Matthias, who took that, that responsibility, had to have been with Jesus for a certain period of his time in ministry, had to have known Jesus. 
So the bar was super high for the apostles who would go on to write the rest of the Scripture. All 12 of them were primarily with Jesus for the majority of all of His ministry, except one who was Paul, who was the last to be appointed. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, Paul himself experienced a post-resurrection meeting with Jesus. Paul talks about that a couple places in, in his writings where he actually saw Jesus in all of His glory. Now, without that, Paul would not have been considered to be an apostle. But he acknowledges that he saw Jesus, that he was taught and mentored by Jesus, and that's a part of his qualifications. Now, I say all of that because while all of us have the Holy Spirit living in us, the apostles were giving a special ministry of the Holy Spirit in regard to their teaching and their writing. And Jesus told them and and tells us in, in John 16, they're going to be guided into all truth. This is what Jesus said. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify Me because he, it is from Me that He will receive what He will make known to you. So Jesus is telling them, the Spirit of truth is going to come and inspire you and speak into you or speak to you, and then that will come out in your writings. And that's why the writings and the teaching of the apostles were considered to be sacred as well as the words of Jesus. And that's why this becomes a requirement of what was included in the Bible, that it had to be someone who either was with Jesus or was the teaching was based on someone who had been with Jesus. And I clarify that by saying that while the apostles wrote most of the New Testament, the rest of it, that there is a book or two, like the book of Mark. Mark was not an apostle. However, Mark got his information from Peter. So the book of Mark is like a gospel that Peter might have written. He just wasn't a great writer. Mark, Mark did that for him. So that kind of gives us the idea of the authority of the Scripture, that this was authority uh, that had been uh, given to them or delegated to them by Jesus Christ. And the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was, was written a couple times. They considered the teachings and the writings of the apostles the same as that of Jesus Christ. So in summary, Jesus affirmed the Old Testament writings uh, as sacred Scripture. The Gospels tell of His life and the words that He said, and then the rest of the New Testament was personally commissioned by Jesus and came out in the teaching of His chosen apostles. So when the early church decided, we're going to collect what we have the Bible today, we're going to bring that together and create the canon or the collection of the Bible Uh, It was not a random choice. They didn't just say, here's a bunch of books, let's throw them in and and make this a Bible. But really, it was a really clear and deep vetting process that was a confirmation process of the books that Jesus had already set apart, that He had already commissioned to be written. And that's how we got our Bible today. Now, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I believe what Jesus said, but I uh, I don't believe the whole Bible or I don't believe maybe certain parts of the Bible, maybe what somebody else wrote. And for some, some reason, people seem to pick on Paul for this accusation. I don't know if you ever noticed that or not. When they, when they don't want to believe something, they oftentimes go to Paul. And there may be a reason for that. First of all, Paul wrote uh, the majority of the New Testament, so the, the bulk of it was his. But Paul also wrote some controversial things, some things that don't go down well today for us. And so We'll, we might look at that and say, well, you know, that Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say anything about that. Paul wrote that. 
But, but I, what I'm trying to say is that Paul's words were just as authoritative as the words of Jesus. Jesus is the one who commissioned the Bible and set it apart as sacred. It is the Word of God through which we come to know about God and about His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible is His revelation to us. Now, that's another word that we don't use a lot. Uh, there's a book of the Bible defined that, but the entire Bible really is God's revelation to us. The word revelation means to draw back the curtain, to draw back the curtain and reveal something to us. So the Bible is God drawing back the curtain and revealing Himself as only He could do it. It is the Word of God, and that makes it sacred. The fourth thing we're going to notice about the Bible is that the Bible is inspired. It is inspired. Now, that goes along pretty close to sacred, but but let's talk about what inspiration means. In other words, the Bible is not just a normal book that you might read, someone's opinion, someone's writing, someone's perspective on something. It is a book that it's inspired by God. And a lot of times the word inspired or inspiration is a word that we can use pretty lightly. You know, for example, we might say, I saw a sunset and it was so inspiring. Or, or that person did a speech and I was so inspired by that. Well, you know, that can move us in certain ways. Um, you know, something creative or moving might do that. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the Bible being inspired. It's not just something that was creative and awesome and we love it and we respect it. It's something that has some power behind it because the inspiration of the Bible is different. And Paul describes it like this in 2 Timothy 3. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, some versions use the word inspired. But here, the New International Version uses the word God-breathed. And I think that's probably pretty good, pretty descriptive, because literally, the idea of inspiration of Scripture is that it was breathed out by God, that God blew out, breathed out the, the Word of God into the hearts of books, of men. So while it's, it's not a human book, it was a book that was written and worded by human beings but they were moved by God when they did it. That's an important thing to recognize. Every book can reflect each writer's individual style and words and personality. And if you read through it, you're going to sense that if you, if you kind of recognize the difference in people's writing style. And, and you really see, you know, I don't know if you can find 40 different styles, but there are different styles in reading the Bible. They took their thoughts directly from God and they interpreted them in their own personal, unique way. In fact, over 3,000 times in the Bible, the authors used the word, the Lord says. The Lord says. In other words, the Lord was telling them what to say, and so they said, the Lord says, and then wrote it out in their own unique and personal way. The idea of inspiration is that God used people to write the books of the Bible, but God was so involved in the process that they wrote exactly what He wanted them to write, and we believe that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I like that verse because it really kind of gives us a word picture of what happened. The Holy Spirit was leading them and directing them, and they were writing as they were being inspired. Now, that's a lot of information, but that kind of gives you a perspective of why we treasure the Bible. 
The Bible is a very special book. It's a library of 66 books. It gives the details of two testaments written over 1,500 years, tells us about how God relates to us, God deals with us. The Bible is sacred scripture, and the Bible is inspired by God. Now, as we go on through this series, we're going to talk about some proofs, and we're going to talk about questions uh, about the Bible. So uh, if you have questions, you know, I would, I'll be glad to answer those. You can email them or text me or, text them or, or, or catch me or whatever you want to do. But we're going to try to cover all the questions that we might have about the Bible in this series. But you know what? The bottom line is this, because we, we have to take some things by faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we believe that. Some things we don't have all the answers for. That's where faith kicks in. Faith is, is believing what we can't automatically see and prove. So the question isn't, can I prove or disprove everything in the Bible? The, the bottom line is, are you willing to believe what the Bible has to say? Can you believe the Bible? Do you have a better substitution for the Bible? And none of us have that, obviously. But are you willing to believe what the Bible has to say? Now, why is it so important to believe the Bible? Because the Bible is where we find out everything we know about Jesus and, and about God, everything we know. In fact, if there were no churches, if there were no uh, older Christians, if there was no knowledge uh, about Jesus in the world, the Bible would tell us everything we, that we need to know. And the Bible is our source of, of knowing who Jesus is. And so the Bible and Jesus are so totally intertwined that you cannot accept one without the other. And basically, what you determine about the Bible will determine if you accept Christ or if you reject Christ. That's so important to understand. That's why knowing the Bible and, and believing the Bible is, is so important in our relationship with Christ. You know, I, I read a story. I remember this very clearly. It's in a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Faith, which, by the way, is a great book. If you have some doubts, it's got a few years on it, but it's a really, really good book written by a man who used to be an atheist, uh, but he researched and ended up uh, uh, becoming a believer and one who defends the faith. But, but anyway, he told the story about two young preachers. Uh, one you've probably heard of, the other likely you've never heard of. One of them was Billy Graham. Maybe you've probably heard of Billy Graham. Most people have. The other one was Charles Templeton, which you probably never heard of. And they were contemporaries. They were about the same age, and Templeton was actually considered to be the better preacher of the two. In fact, he founded a church that grew to over 1,000 people in the 1940s. If you can imagine that, it was a megachurch before there were even megachurches. Templeton was a pretty well-known preacher in that day. Billy Graham, on the other hand, was, a, was younger and, and not as experienced, and he knew he was being called to preach, but he was struggling, like a lot of people, with believing the Bible. But one day, he took his Bible out into the, the forest, and he found a big stone, and he set his Bible on the stone. And he sat down and he prayed. He said, oh God, I cannot prove certain things. I can't answer some of the questions people are raising. But I accept this book by faith as the Word of God. And that was kind of his acceptance of ministry. And you know that Billy Graham went on uh, to, to impact the entire world, literally, um, with the Word of God. But what happened to Templeton? A man who had already established a church, was pastoring a church, he began to have some serious doubts about the Bible. And uh, you can't be a preacher and not believe the Bible, right? And so he dropped out of ministry, and in fact, he eventually even left the faith altogether. And in fact, he, he decided not only to reject Jesus, but he even worked hard to discourage Billy Graham, if you can imagine that, uh, in his own ministry. 
And so he just kind of faded from view, and, and Billy Graham became very prominent as a preacher of the truth. At the age of 83, Charles Templeton was interviewed, and when he was asked about his faith, he had a very sad look on his face, and he said, you know, I, I, he admitted that he missed Jesus, but he said he just could not overcome his doubt. He couldn't overcome his doubt, and obviously he did pass away. As far as we know, he, he passed away outside of Jesus. You know, everybody's heard about Billy Graham but, and the impact he had on the world, but you probably have never heard of Charles Templeton until today unless you had read the book by Lee Strobel. The Bible has the awesome power to change lives, to impact the world. The Bible has that power to do that, and the power of Christ is seen and experienced through the knowledge and obedience of the Word of God. And that's why it's so important that we understand the Bible, that we know just the facts that we talked about today, the perspective of it, the inspiration of God's Word. But what's more important is that we believe that and we put our faith and trust in it because through it we come to know Jesus, who then we can put our faith and trust in for our sins to be forgiven. The Bible is also the source of our worship and our practice. And that's why every Sunday we come together and we talk about God's Word. We want to be a Bible-focused church. Just teach the Bible and believe the Bible and hold it up as truth. So that's why we teach it. It's also why we, we worship uh, as we're taught to in the Bible. It's also why we have certain practices. And as we kind of segue into that, that time of sharing in the Lord's Supper, we get our practice of this from the Bible. Somebody asked, well, why do we do this? And, and where does that come from? And these actions, we're going to come forward in a few moments and share of, uh, together of the cup of juice and the, the, the bread. Why do we do that each week? Because the Bible tells us to do that. In Matthew chapter 26, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he get broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it all of you. From it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So they were sitting around and they were celebrating a meal together and Jesus took two of the elements and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my cup, my blood which is poured out for you. And you take these, and whenever you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. He told us to do it until he comes back, but he also tells us that he will not do it again until we join with him uh, in heaven, which is a great promise. And so that's why every Lord's Day we come together and we share in our time of communion, and we, we take time to, to, to recognize the symbolism of the bread and the, and the, the cup, the juice. And we ask you, if you are a believer in Christ, or we invite you to come and share in that, and we do it in the time of responsiveness, where you just come forward and share in the, uh, the emblems and then return back to your seat. And we just want to encourage you. It should be a time of obedience, a time of worship through this, and, uh, and we invite you to do that. If you are not comfortable coming forward, just raise your hand. One of our deacons will serve you from the back, or, or you'd rather not do that. We'd be glad to do that because we think it's important during this time just to recognize who Jesus is and to worship Him. So will you bow with me as we go to the Lord, a time of prayer. Father, I thank You for this day, and Lord, as we come together, a part of our worship, a part of our obedience to You is in sharing in the Lord's Supper and remembrance of Your love for us. God, I want to thank You for the cup 
that represents the, uh, the, the blood of Jesus that was shared, the bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And Lord, as, as we take them into our bodies, may we truly examine ourselves, as your word says. And uh, Father, we know that we'll find our shortcomings and we want to bring them to you, repent of them, ask for forgiveness, and Lord, uh, commit to, to being more obedient, more faithful to you. Lord, we love you, we worship you, and we do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.